welcome to LOA Today. I'm Walt Thiessen. With me today, relationship life coach Cindy Chavez. This is your daily dose of happy. We are so happy you decided to join us today. We are indeed. And uh, the only sad part, of course, is that uh, Monique is no longer part of the Wednesday show. But I got to tell you, Cindy, I got a chance to talk with her on Monday because my two Monday co-hosts were both away. And Monique had said, well, if you need a fill-in, let me know. So I contacted her. and She said, let me check. Yeah, I could do it. So she filled in. And the best part was she confirmed I mean, I, what I had said last week about um, how it was the experiments that we did that had kind of, you know, whisked her off the show by falling. It turned out to be true. That's exactly what happened. She confirmed all of that. And she also confirmed, you remember when the week, I think it was the week before that, we did the experiment where both you and she indicated you wanted to be contacted by somebody you hadn't heard from in a long time. Ten years, I think, was the number. And the person who contacted her was this person who's in real estate, and then the next week we get the thing where you're following their intuition and the intuition led her to meet another <laughs> person in real estate. And so now she's doing real estate. That, I mean, the whole thing just followed right out of our experiments. So it's like Ooh. I said last week, you, you got to be careful when you're pay- playing with live ammo. This stuff right. is really, this is hot energy that we're talking about. Here. <laughs> That's great. I love it. Yeah. You do. Sometimes you have to be careful what you ask for, right? You do. Yeah. Yeah. You, this is, you, you want to pay attention to what you're doing with this stuff. Um, and we're getting uh, emails. We got an email from Barbie who's loving this. She says, fabulous episode on boundaries that we did. Um, she loves the Pam Grout readings and experiment challenges and says, thank you for the daily dose of happy. You are appreciated. So Yay. thank you very much, Barbie. That was really Barbie. nice. Yeah. yeah. I, I so. think sometimes, you know, we ask for things and we get uh, frustrated when they don't happen right away. Hmm. But sometimes when we ask for things, if we don't have, an appropriate channel for them to come to us. Mm-hmm. They may come in a way that is, is uncomfortable. Right. And we still get, we still end up getting what we want, but it sure didn't happen the way we expected it to. Exactly. So, <laughs> but there's that whole good luck, bad luck thing. So, you know, I, <laughs> I, I was thinking about it this morning. I actually posted this in the group that I run um, about struggle mm-hmm. that, you know, struggle is part of life on earth. Like we struggle to get out of the womb and come into the world, mm-hmm. but it's not just the human experience. It's like struggle is yeah. built into the life experience. Like butterflies wrangle to get out of their cocoon and seeds sprout, mm-hmm. push to get up out of the dirt and little birds have to, you know, fight their way out of their shell when they hatch. Struggle is like always with us from the beginning. And struggle is actually part of the process of evolution. So if we want to grow as humans and, you know, grow into a bigger experience of whatever it is, relationship or wealth or whatever, there's bound to be some struggle. And where we, I think, go off the track is that we make it wrong. Yes. I agree. We're like, and and here's the thing. I, I help people to not struggle all the time, right? It's like we don't want right. to be caught in a place where we're suffering like 24-7 because the struggle is so hard and so long and we never come out of it. But that said, the struggle is part of the process mm-hmm. of growth and of obtaining, you know, a higher level of something. And so 
when we think that we are like doing it wrong because there's some level of struggle or we make it wrong or we judge someone else as that they must be doing it wrong because they're just having a hard time. We really do ourselves a disservice instead of just recognizing, Oh, you know, something good is on the way. Like I must be growing for this to be. And sometimes it's like Barbie mentioned boundaries in our discussion. Sometimes it's a boundary thing, right? You could easily alleviate the struggle if you would just have a stronger boundary, if you would just, you know, make some kind of change. So I'm not saying that we should just like decide struggling is great and struggle all the time, but sometimes there's a struggle and we should kind of be okay with it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, sure. Well, I think that's exactly right. Um, In fact, I love that you mentioned both struggle and suffering in the same sentence. Uh, which is a conversation you and I have had. Joel Elson and I have had that conversation too, yeah. others as well, um, because there's a very important distinction between the two. You can struggle without suffering. Yes, yes. It's yes. it's usually almost impossible to suffer without struggle, but struggling without suffering is definitely doable. And it's not saying that pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional. Yeah. We're all going to struggle in life. We're all going to have some moments of pain, but we don't have to suffer through life. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's, it's, I, I, I don't remember if it's a Buddhist thing or what, but it's, it's the question about, you know, somebody who can hold their hand in the flame, right? And, and the, uh, way that they talk about it is it's not that you don't feel the pain. It's just that you don't mind. That's right. Just, <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't bother that's, you. Uh, that's a famous movie, a famous person. Um, as he said, oh, it's not that it doesn't hurt. Says, I don't mind that it hurts. Um, oh, okay. Now I can't think of who it is. But, uh, yeah, definitely. I think that it's a mindset thing a lot mm-hmm. of the time. It is, and, yeah. And then, and yet, you know, I have a, I have a great passion to alleviate suffering in the world. I mean, that's part of why I do what I do. And so I I'm, have to be really careful. So I'm not saying, Ooh, suffering is so great. I want everyone to suffer big time. You know? <laughs> no, of course That's not. Terrible. It's none of that. It's just, it's just, sometimes we suffer so much because we're struggling inwardly with something because we've decided it's wrong or it's decided, you know, we've decided that we're doing something wrong. And that's, this is not always the case. Sometimes we just struggle. And I think about, you know, the story I told about my car. Mm-hmm. Yep. About wanting to get rid of that car so much that finally right. one day I was just about to like spontaneously combust because I just, <laughs> I just, and my husband came home and said, you ready? You know, he was taking me to lunch and I said, no, we're not, I don't want to go anywhere. I don't want to do anything until we put an ad in the paper for this car or do something about this car. I've got to get rid of this car. It's bad feng shui to have a dead car in my driveway. I just want to get rid of it. You know, and I was really, I was struggling. Mm. I mean, if I can think of what maybe a butterfly feels like trying to get out of the cocoon or a bird out of that egg, that's how I felt. I felt like I was just going to come out of my skin. I was it's just, I was struggling. And I thought about that this morning when I was writing this piece about struggle. I thought, oh, wow. And what happened? You know, for those of you who haven't heard the story, after I almost spontaneously combusted, my husband said, here. And he handed me a slip of paper. And the paper, I had been sitting with this car that wouldn't start in my driveway for two years, but I was emotionally connected to this car because Edna and I had been through lots together and I didn't want to get rid of her. And then it switched to where, okay, I got to get rid of her. I can't stand it. This is not right. This is not bringing me good energy to have this dead car in my driveway. 
And at the point where I just couldn't take it anymore and I was struggling so much over it, my husband hands me a piece of paper and it says, hi, <laughs> my name is Melvin and I'm interested in buying the Mercedes that's in your driveway if you're interested in selling it. And I was like, where I said to my husband, where did you get this? And he said, it was on your car. I said, right now? He said, yeah, right now. So literally at the moment that I was just ready to blow up, my husband finds the paper. And when I called the guy, he says, oh, I'm so happy you want to sell it. Do you know I've been driving past it, looking at it, wanting to buy it for a couple of years. And I finally got the nerve up to ask. And I realized, oh, he didn't just finally get the nerve up to ask. Mm -hmm. I finally struggled enough. <laughs> right? You decided then, to stop suffering is what you did. That's exactly right. Exactly right. Yeah. You're exactly right. I had suffered enough. That's I remember it. when I was first a coach, you know, 12 years ago, 10 years ago, I, I wrote a blog post. And the title was, Have You Suffered Enough? <laughs> Have You Suffered Enough? Yeah, right. That's a good yeah, question. It's terrible to ask someone that when they're like, I just want things to change. Well, have you suffered enough? Have you suffered enough? But sometimes, I mean, that's to me, that's what it is. It's this when we finally had enough is when we usually take the action to do something about it. It's true. It's and there's struggle true. involved in there. And sometimes the action itself that we take feels like a struggle, but I don't know. I, when I look back and I see the big, you know, Florence Scovel Shin would call it a, uh, uh, we heard this word in the book last week from Pam Graham, a demonstration, right? Mm -hmm. All those new thought people back in the 1940s, you know, they had their own language. And one of the things that they talked about was a demonstration. And a demonstration right. was basically a miracle, right? Yeah. I mean, that would have been considered a demonstration, finding that note and having Absolutely. to buy my car. So when I look back over the past 20 years of, you know, using these concepts, all of my really big demonstrations were preceded by some kind of struggle. Sure. Oh, that makes total sense to me. In fact, I well, I can tell you a story about it that happened today. You know, so I'll, I'll get to that in a moment. Uh, I just wanted to preface it by pointing out that there is great value in understanding the difference between the suffering and the struggling. And I say that because understanding that difference is what enabled me to get through this problem today. So let me tell you the story. Wow. Yeah. This is a timely conversation. This yeah. is very timely, yeah. <laughs> Um, as you know, we run, Louise and I run a gardening service business here in our local area. And we have one customer who's a repeat customer. We've been taking care of his gardens for, I don't know, five, six years, something like that. And it's a good size, uh, property. Um, he, he spends a, a fair penny out of it each year. This year, I swear, we, we kept messing everything up. We got the estimate wrong. We got the amount of mulch wrong. One of our two, three of our gardeners actually did work they weren't supposed to do on it. I mean, it was just like one, it was, it was almost a comedy of errors, except it wasn't funny at all. <laughs> and, and the bottom line is we, we normally are pretty good with our estimates, but our estimate was way off. The amount that we had to charge him was so far above estimate. We, we'd actually done two estimates. And even if you add the estimates together, it was still over that amount, <laughs> but it was all legitimate fees it was just you know it was that kind of scenario and i was sweating bullets because right now our cash flow th this time of year the way the, the business works the cash flow starts to really catch up by around july to august so that we get into a really great cash position but up until then it's always touch and go because I, I have to make the payroll every week you know i have to make sure that we are getting some money to live on and stuff like that um so it's it's always touch and go and this is a really big um budget item here you know so not getting that payment would be 
close to catastrophic. I mean, it wouldn't quite be, but it would be, it would be very painful. Let's put it that way. Right. Now, I didn't really expect that was going to happen. I figured we would get at least some of it, but I need, we needed all of it. I mean, if, if, if the cash flow right now is, is right on a, a, a pinhead, that's how it is. So, you know, that's kind of the scenario leading into it. And I was, I was scared. I was scared, but we'd be able to get all this money. And I was starting to really struggle with how to even get in touch with him, what to say to him. Cause it was my job to iron this whole thing out. And I literally started to suffer about the whole thing, like to the point where I was becoming, um, well, what's the word where, where you just, you're frozen. You can't take action. That that's I, the point that I was getting into. And I realized, Oh my God, I am allowing myself to suffer in a struggle situation. Now, I can't honestly tell you that that knowledge was enough for me to flip the switch. I had to also go to Louise and say, Louise, I'm dealing with this thing and it's not going well. My emotions are off the, the, the wire. I mean, just really, really bad. I know rationally this is all going to work out, but my emotions are saying, oh my God, this whole thing's going to fall apart. So she helped me. You know, she knows a lot of stuff too about LOA and, and, and deliberate creation and she's a former therapist. And so she was able to help me through all that. But as I'm working through it, I'm also thinking to myself, let go of the suffering. Just, yeah, okay, you may have to struggle through some of this, but just keep taking the steps and, and stop making yourself suffer. And with that thought in mind, I finally composed a long, long email that basically broke down all the things that happened and here what our proposed solutions were and so forth. And I showed it to Louise. And I showed it to Rita, who does our um, our, our customer consults and so forth. They all signed off. They said, yeah, I think, think that's good. And I almost winced as I hit the send button on it. Like, oh, God, what's going to happen here? That, But I didn't allow myself to get any further into the suffering mode. And I said, okay, it's done. Go do something else. Find anything else to do. And there were a couple of things I had to do. I had to run some errands and so forth. Went and ran those errands, came back, and there's an email from him. I said, oh, God, what does it say? <laughs> Open up the email, and he says, I'll put the check in the mail tomorrow. And I went, oh, God, thank you. <laughs> It's like one of those times where the apprehension going up to the event is much worse. Much worse. And whatever comes of it, right? Yeah. Exactly. When yeah. you said you felt frozen, I was thinking about, because these are all stress responses that we're talking about. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Right? And, you know, we developed stress responses in our, in our humanity so that we could survive. And that includes, includes evolving, right? <laughs> Over mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. But the stress responses, flight, fight, freeze, or fawn. Yes. Sometimes when I'm in a situation where things are really uncomfortable, I will check myself to just make sure I'm not doing any of those things. Mm -hmm. I'm not fighting. I'm not flying. You know, I'm not saying I'm out of here, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, um, especially like online, I've seen this happen in groups, you know, things get a little hot and people just start leaving. They're like, I'm out. Yeah, they leave, right. right? Fight, flight, freeze. That one, I get that one too. I'm like, I don't know what to do. So I'm not going to do anything. <laughs> and, and you get so scared I, that you, you don't dare do anything. That's the thing. Yeah. It's like, oh my God, anything I do is going to screw up. That's the feeling you get. Yeah. And the fourth one is fawn, which, you know, fawning might save your life sometime. You know, I heard, um, Louis Mojico, who's a wonderful uh, somatic therapist, I heard him say one time, well, you know, fawning, my, if I pick up a hitchhiker and, you know, a mile down the road, I realize 
man, I think this guy's like a total psychopath, right? Mm. Fawning might keep me safe until ah. I drop him off, right? What I mean uh-huh. by fawning is people pleasing, right? Yeah, like right. Making over someone. And so all of those are stress responses. And sometimes mm. they come up for us when we're in the middle of a struggle. Yeah. Um, and if we can just, something that I've been doing lately is recognizing how important it is to slow down, first of all, mm-hmm. and pause. And you did that. Like I was listening to your story of how you dealt with all of this. And there were more than once that you were like, oh, okay, like <laughs> take a breath. <laughs> suffering, right? Yeah. And that's the thing. If we will just slow down mm. a lot of the time and take a breath and pause. And if we can train ourselves to do that all the time, I mean, like, when I was thinking about it, I was thinking about Abraham Hicks and their segment intending, which yes. we've done on the show before. So like when this podcast is over, I'll have something else to do. But if I'll just take a moment in between things on my agenda to pause, even if it's just for 60 seconds, take a breath, give myself a little space, think about, you know, ponder what's going on, find something beautiful to look at. You know, I've got these wonderful chickadees all over my bird feeders and then do the next thing because Mm -hmm. we're opening up space when we do that. And the more space we can open up, the more synchronicities we'll experience, the more magic, the more manifestation. So as you're saying that I'm realizing there's more to the story. (laughs) <laughs> I hadn't made the connection until you were just describing it. But as you're describing it, I'm saying, oh, my God, you're right. There is more because um, I got to give you a little more background. Uh, this year has been a an extraordinarily successful year for us in the sense that the phone has literally been bringing off the hook. I mean, we cannot keep up. We are currently running about three to four weeks behind schedule, meaning we are, we have jobs scheduled out four weeks before we can even consider putting you on the schedule. So it's, and that's a lot more wow. than what we like. We we normally like to keep it like one to two weeks. So that shows you just how busy it's been this year. And I've been wanting to add another gardener to the staff to help handle the load, right? Because there's so much work coming in. And we actually had somebody we were talking to and she was qualified in every way, but her schedule and ours just didn't mesh. And we realized after talking with her for a while, we were trying to fit a square peg into a round hole. It just wasn't going to work, which was hard because we really needed her. And she needed the work, but it just wasn't going to work. And so we, it, it took us a while to get there, but we both, both she and we came to the conclusion this, this wasn't a good fit. It just wasn't going to work. Let go of that. I believe that was two, three business days ago, three business days ago. We let go of that. This whole thing with this customer happened during that time period. Today it resolved. One hour after it resolved, we had a meeting with another client, not another client, another candidate for a gardener position who turned out to be absolutely perfect. We hired her. And so now all of a sudden, all this relief is happening. Relief, we're going to get this big payment that we need to get. Relief, we just got help that's going to help iron out our schedule. And it all just went click, 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 click really, really fast. (laughs) Yay. So that's a perfect example of what you're talking about. Right. It, It just leads to better results. Yep. It's like the idea that if we will just slow down and relax and like I tell clients to do this sometimes when I'm on the phone with them, I just just lean back a little bit in your chair Mm -hmm. and see what that feels like. Yes. Imagine (laughs) just coming to you. Right. Uh, I sent a client a picture 
yesterday we were kind of chatting about something and I had been to the dentist uh, to have my teeth cleaned. No, no problems or anything. But the, the dentist that I go to, when you're in the chair, what is in front of you is a big window that's like 10 feet by 10 feet. Oh, my. And outside the window is a fountain and a statue of a goddess. And oh, smart and, dentist. Oh, and it's just... So every time I go, which is usually just, you know, every year, every half a year to get my teeth cleaned, I'm in the chair and I'm like, gosh, this is just so, and so <laughs> I took a picture and in the picture, you could see my toes, you know, my, my shoes, because my legs were crossed and right out in front of me, I'm in the dentist chair, you can see the little tips of my pointy shoes and then this big window with the goddess and I sent it to her and she said, well, if that's not, she said, you need to frame that because that right there is a perfect picture of your idea of just laying back and let everything right. Come to you, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> You're absolutely. Right. That. So it's <laughs> like, take a breath, take a breath. I don't think most of the time we're not breathing deeply. And, oh boy. You know. <laughs> that is so, so true. And I've been training myself actually to deliberately take breaths because, um, Gardening service businesses, people may not realize this, but May is by far the busiest season. We just finished May and, and it's, it's like the busiest time of the year because everybody wants to get their gardens open so they can enjoy it for the summer, right? right? But we can't do them all at once. It's just not possible. You know, so you're literally just running from one thing to the next constantly trying to keep up with everything and everything's kind of slipping out of reach because you're falling farther and farther behind and it's not a pleasant feeling to be in. But we came through it in part because I made it a point to breathe, to just stop periodically. Even if I wasn't feeling it, even if the vibration wasn't right, just breathe. Just breathe for a moment. You know, take a deep breath in, deep breath out. I'm driving out to go, you know, pick up some mulch or some compost or fertilizer or something. Breathe as I'm driving. Just breathe in, breathe out. Just do that. And did it solve everything? No, but boy, did it help. Oh, it does. And it shifts everything. It does. Because when you think about it, oftentimes we talk about uh, in the body constriction, like, and when we're not breathing, when we're holding our breath, which we do this a lot. I mean, (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, we're constricted. So Mm -hmm. how, you know, to be able to receive something, we have to be open. Yes. And when we're constricted, that's not a recipe for bringing good things. No. <laughs> it's a very opposite recipe for producing stuff you really don't like at all. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I don't want to produce any more stuff that I don't like. I've been, you know, I, I think I've right. practiced pretty well at that. <laughs> yes, I, I'm skilled at that part. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm thinking about um, our experiments. I'm curious if anybody out there listening uh, did the uh, hang the wire hanger experiment. No, I'm curious too. We cool. didn't get any we didn't get any emails off of it, and yeah. uh, we do we do have some live stream people listening in, but uh, not seeing anything yet. If any of you guys listening to the live stream tried the experiment, let us know. Um, but uh, even if you didn't, it was it's a worthwhile episode to replay because it's amazing how that little tool that you can create out of a wire hanger and a, and a a straw. It's just amazing. What, what that does, what you can do with that. And you and I have already both done that experiment in the past. So that's why we didn't do it this week. You know, what's interesting is I, I was reading something. It just hit me. Uh, I was talking about that, how we think when we say like my mind, right? We, we picture, most of us picture our mind, like our brain, like being Mm -hmm. in our head. And we even use, we even use, um, 
expressions like, oh, I just, I was in my head, you know, meaning we're thinking about something or mm-hmm. but the thing I was reading was talking about is the reminder that our mind is much bigger than our body. Like our body mm-hmm. is actually in our mind. Mm-hmm. Our mind isn't this little thing that's squeezed into our head or connected to our brain. It's much bigger than that. It and is. So, so, you know, the mind is, uh, when, when people are in a room together, they're, we talk about the mastermind, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Like two heads are better than one, or you get a right. table full of people all brainstorming on something. That's because their minds are connecting because yes. they're in physical proximity to each other. Mm-hmm. And so when we breathe, and when we relax, I think that part of us can expand even more. I think that's I don't true. Have scientific proof about that, but I think that that's the case. Is that well, it makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, yeah. it, when you put yourself into a more relaxed state, you're going to be higher vibe anyway. So, of course, you're going to be better connected, which means you're going to get the benefits from it. I mean, yeah. to me, it's A leads to B. It's pretty straightforward. So it, it's interesting because that idea of of creating things, manifesting things with our mind Mm -hmm. and relaxing into being open to receive. I was thinking about, we had chosen an experiment for today and I realized thinking, Oh, everything we're talking about is really not connected to this. And then it just hit me. I was like, Oh yeah, it is. Well, maybe it is. Yeah. (laughs) It's called called the 101 Dalmatians principle. You are connected to everything and everyone else in the universe. And I love that title, by the way, just because that was one of my favorite movies growing up when I was a kid. But that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) We talked about that. that I think the new version of it just came out, but that's right. Yeah. I'm sure I'll see it in time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, All right. So you want me to start? Sure. You start. We'll we'll do it like we did last time. You do some, I'll do some, that kind of thing. Okay. It starts with a quote, tenet of the South American philosophy, South African philosophy known as Ubuntu. I am because we are. (laughs) Mm. A lot. Uh, The premise in this experiment, you'll prove that you are interconnected with everyone and everything through an invisible field of intelligence and energy. In quantum speak, this lattice of connections is called non-locality. And even though it's one of the signature concepts of quantum mechanics, non-locality, along with its cousin entanglement, has incited much head-scratching over the last 300 years, starting with Sir Isaac Newton, who considered what he called action at a distance ludicrous, despite the fact that his own theory of gravity had proposed such a phenomenon. (laughs) To be brief, non-locality is when two particles behave synchronously with no intermediary. But it doesn't make logical sense, right? If you want to move, say, an abandoned shoe in the middle of the floor, you have to touch the shoe or touch a broom that touches the shoe or instruct your five-year-old <laughs> who left it there to pick it up via vibrations through the air to his ear. Things that things can only affect things that are in the immediate vicinity. There has to be a sequence, a chain of events. We believe that we can only alter things we can touch, but that's not the case. We've now got a demonstrably more accurate model that proves that one object without being anywhere near a second object can influence the second object. Unfortunately, most of us still persist in hanging on to the old chain of events worldview, even though physicists have demonstrated time and time again 
that once an atom has been in the proximity of another atom, it will be influenced or entangled by that atom, no matter how far away it travels. Even Einstein Einstein couldn't bring himself to fully embrace this counterintuitive concept. An even weirder conundrum is that once the atoms have interacted, they are entangled forever. Mm. We have even proved that non-locality and entanglement work on bigger things like humans. In 1978, Dr. Jacobo Grinberg Zyberbaum, I don't know if I pronounced that correctly. Oh, I thought you did a brilliant job <laughs> myself, especially with Zyberbaum. I mean, seriously, that was quite a name. <laughs> of the National Autonomous University of Mexico, later replicated by London neurophys- neuropsychiatrist Peter Fenwick, hooked two test subjects to ele- electroencephalograms in isolated rooms. The brainwave pattern produced by a series of strobe lights in one of the subject's eyes appeared identically on the other test subject's EEG, even though he was nowhere near the same flashes. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. Though non-locality doesn't make sense to our Newtonian brains, we can still use it to our advantage. Like your computer that is hooked up via the Internet to an infinite amount of information, you by virtue of being a human being, are hooked up to everyone else in the world. Sometimes, when I want to communicate to someone in another part of the world, I whisper my message to the giant oak tree in my front yard. Needless to say, trees, like the dogs in 101 Dalmatians, are interconnected. And the oak can easily send messages to a palm tree in a friend's yard in California through the concept of non-locality. In this experiment, you're going to use non-locality to send a message to someone from a distance, someone you will not see or talk to. <laughs> I want to interrupt for a second, too, because huh? I love this. I love this experiment, first of all. <laughs> um, and I want to point out, uh, she didn't mention it in her chapter here, but we touched here on the show about a number of different things that are physical phenomena where we know that non-locality works. One of the ones that I think you mentioned it last week was tuning forks. Get yeah. two tuning forks, and, and if they're both tuned to the same pitch, so to speak, you you strike one, and the other one will start to vibrate to that same pitch. Correct. Um, another example is clocks, like a you know grandfather clocks or grandmother clocks. Yeah. Get two of them going in the same room, get them going with their pendulums at different speeds and different uh, directions and timings and so forth. And in a short period of time, they'll be in perfect synchronicity with each other, just swinging at the same pace at the same speed and everything else. That's right. Um, I've even heard a heart surgeon say that if you open two open heart surgeries at the same time, that the heartbeats will start sinking and beating. Wow. Yeah. That's so cool. <laughs> well, how many songs do we have about two hearts beating as one? I mean, <laughs> that, that, that is a popular romantic sentiment. And I think there's a lot of truth to it. I, think I really so. do. Yeah. So, yeah. I, yeah actually, I actually heard someone say one time, now I don't know if this is true, but I remember hearing it, that they said that the reason why so many of the Beatles songs were popular was that they uh the rhythm of it was mimicking a heartbeat oh that's an interesting people idea. felt synced up to that music i don't know yeah. if that's true but i just yeah it is it is really interesting and that's apparently the next uh section here because it's called that sinking feeling and it's spelled s-y-n-g <laughs> it yep. says uh there's a 
quote from Mark Wahlberg, the actor, it says it's all about love and how we were all connected. So yes. interesting because that this thought, I didn't know this chapter yet. And the, the thought about being in a room with people and your auras, basically, right? Your energy field, your mind mm-hmm. connecting to each other. So she says, when my daughter was in junior high school, she began answering every question with the same reply. Two, two, two. <laughs> if someone asked what time it was, she'd say 222, even though it was 543. <laughs> if someone wondered how much it cost for a lunchroom carton of milk, again, she'd answer with $2.22. Her friends got a big kick out of it and started calling her at exactly 222. <laughs> she even started a Facebook fan page called The Amazingly Awesomeness of 222. As I said, she was in junior high that same summer. We took two trips. On both of these trips, with no input or planning on my part, we ended up staying in room 222 of our hotel. One in Seattle after we missed our connection to Juno, and the other in London's Langham Hotel, located across from the BBC headquarters. Swiss psychiatrist Carl Jung called events like these synchronicity. The simultaneous occurrence of two meaningful but not causally connected events. Some people view coincidences like these as amusing anomalies spit out by the random event generator, arguing that it's only inevitable that eventually events from column A will match up with those from column B. In this experiment, you're going to permit yourself to suppose that synchronistic events are not the result of the law of averages or outright delusion, but rather valid products of non-locality and entanglement. In fact, in his book, Prometheus Rising, Robert Anton Wilson claims that even contemplating these issues usually triggers Jungian synchronicities. Mm -hmm. See how long after reading this chapter you encounter an amazing coincidence. If you have any great stories, by all means, send them in to me via my website. And she has her website there, pamkraut.com. Cool. As Wilson loved to point out, the fabric of the universe doesn't play by human rules. In fact, let him again explain the theorem of non-locality put forth in the 1960s by theorist John S. Bell. It was Bell's now famous theorem that led to actual experiments that conclusively proved the non-local quantum nature of the world. And here's the, uh, the paragraph. Bell's theorem is highly technical, but in ordinary language, it amounts to this. There are no isolated systems. Every particle in the universe is in instantaneous, that means faster than light, communication with every other particle. The whole system, even the parts that are separated by cosmic distances, functions as a whole system. After this experiment, you'll discover that synchronicity, a phenomenon people regularly shrug off with a, wow, what a weird coincidence, is nothing but experimental proof of the interconnectedness of all things. And I'm looking forward to doing this experiment. I, I want to throw in one remark, and that is I have pretty much since I, I became aware of law of attraction, certainly since I started doing the podcast, I have repeated over and over again to myself, to people here on the show and so forth, that the only problem with the idea of coincidence is that people put the word mirror in there. They say it was a mere coincidence. And I say there's no such thing as a mere coincidence because all coincidences are connected. Saying that it's mere is basically a way of saying 
well, I'm going to diminish it and, and say that it's unimportant that they're all connected. No, it's very important that they're all connected. That's the I, only, the only problem I have with the word coincidence. Now I think of coincidence different for most people. They say, well, coincidence means that they're not connected. I don't see it that way. I think coincidence basically means coincident, oh, two things not, happening at the yeah. same time. That's right. all it is, you know, and, and they're all connected. Just because we don't see the connection doesn't mean that they're not connected. Just means that we don't see it. That's all. So. And your idea of, you know, mere coincidence, it reminds me of the of uh, something that Neville Goddard talked about uh, with the word imagination. Mm-hmm. On the one hand, people will say, well, just use your imagination. And on the other hand, it's like, oh, it's just your imagination. Just your imagination, like, right. Like, <laughs> you want to pick it up here with everything that doesn't look like love is smoke and mirrors? Sure. Well, I love the subtitles, so let's go with that. So this is followed by a quote by Larry Dossie, MD, American physician and author. He says, we can slice and dice it any way we like, but we cannot justify turning our face away from this evidence. Hmm. In 1972, Pam writes that the annual convention of the American Association for the Advancement of Science, a meteorologist named Edward Lorenz, introduced a brand new term into the American vernacular. The butterfly effect was his observation that an event as seemingly insignificant as the flapping of a butterfly's wings in Brazil could set off a hurricane in Texas. In other words, small, almost imperceptible things can have large and momentous consequences. The cool thing about this experiment is that you can use it to draw love into your life. You can use it to brighten the world. When you generate uplifting thoughts about someone, it contributes favorably to his or her energy. Conversely, when you judge others, even if you keep it to yourself, you affect their energy and weigh down the quality of your interactions. You can literally uplift your world by lasering love, blessings, peace, and other high-frequency emotions to the people in your life. As it says in A Course of Miracles, quote, you are being blessed by every beneficent thought of any of your brothers anywhere, close quote. There's a story about a protester who was outside the Military School of America taking a silent stand against the policies of the United States. Actually, they said state, but I think it was states. (laughs) And it's bullying behavior. Someone asked him, What makes you think holding that little candle is going to have any effect on these governments? They've been doing what they've been doing for decades now. He replied, I'm not worried about changing them. I don't want my country to change me. Hmm. Your thoughts about other people change you. Is it really possible in this us versus them world that we as this energy principle states are really one? Well, to be blunt, Yeah, we are all in this together. And every time we judge or think anything less than charitable about anyone, we crucify ourselves. We inflict self-pain. And I can attest to that, by the way. Our differences, as huge as we make them out to be, are superficial and meaningless. And it's time we let them go. When you meet anyone, remember that it is a holy encounter. As you see him, you will see yourself. As you treat him, you will treat yourself. As you think of him, you will think of yourself. You can change your relationship with anyone 
by simply sending them good thoughts. By the way, that worked great with our client, I have to mention. That was part of the process that I went through. Love it. Subtitle, Anecdotal Evidence, a quote by Derek Jensen, American author and environmental activist. He says, all we want, whether we are honeybees, ponderosa pines, coyotes, human beings, or stars, is to love and be loved, to be accepted, cherished, and celebrated simply for being who we are. Is that so very difficult, he asks. Pam goes on to write, my friend whom I'll call Ginger because that is not her name, had a rocky relationship with her mother for years. Finally, she decided that every night before falling asleep, she would send her mom blessings. Her mom, of course, had no idea she was doing this. To this day, Ginger has never told her mother that for about six months, she spent a few minutes each evening envisioning her getting all the things she ever wanted and seeing herself being happy about it. I honestly don't know how it happened, but our relationship changed. Now we're the best of friends, Ginger says. <laughs> this reminds me of some Neville Goddard things, right? Oh, yeah. 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 It, uh, there's also an interesting little subtopic here. Maybe we take a moment to talk about that one, too, um, because we have talked in the past about how it is our thoughts that control our lives. And here we're positing the idea that other people's thoughts can influence our lives. Uh, and I, I mentioned this because I think the key word here is influence. Um, it is possible for us to not be influenced by somebody else if we maintain our own focus and our own thought pattern in contradiction to what they're focusing on. So we don't have to suffer if somebody else sends suffering our way. Correct. And it's an important distinction to, to keep in mind. But certainly if we have any level of sympathetic focus, sympathetic vibration to what they're sending. Oh yeah. It's going to affect us. It's going to affect us in a big way, whether for the good or for the bad, either way, it doesn't make any difference. It's going to affect us. Yeah. That's that alignment. That is. Yeah. yeah. That alignment's a big deal. So anyway, moving on to the next section, this is called more anecdotal evidence. And this time we have a quote from Henry David Thoreau, American writer and philosopher. He says, Explore your own higher latitudes. Be a Columbus to whole new continents within you, opening new channels, not of trade, but of thought. Boy, was he ahead of his time. Oh, my right. God. So Pam writes, best-selling author Martha Beck was once like most of us, friendly enough, trusting enough, but not about to go overboard. After all, she was a scientist, a Harvard-pedigreed sociologist who needed facts to form any kind of conclusion. And the conclusion she came to, the same one most all of us come to on planet Earth, is that people are okay, but you don't want to get too involved. Especially not if you're at Harvard and trying to get your second graduate degree. Probably best to keep people at arm's length. As she described it in her wonderful book, Expecting Adam, Quote, we go around like Queen Elizabeth, bless her heart, clutching our dowdy little accessories, avoiding the slightest hint of impropriety, never showing our real feelings or touching anyone except through glove leather, unquote. This gives me a different way of thinking about Queen Elizabeth. <laughs> uh, but, <clears throat> but life pulled a fast one on Martha Beck. It gave her a son with Down syndrome named Adam, who taught her that everything she thought she understood about the world is a big ruse, especially the part about not trusting other people. 
When she was pregnant with Adam, her husband, also a Harvard graduate student, traveled to Asia a lot, and she was left at home to go, to cope with her demanding studies, their two-year-old, and a pregnancy that was not going well. Fires, potential miscarriages, and ongoing pregnancy ailments drove her to wit's end. As she says, I felt like a load of gravel had been dumped on me. Every time she was about to snap, an angel, parentheses, I don't know, mean metaphorically, or an acquaintance she barely knew would show up with kind words, groceries, or some other assistance. Now, keep in mind that this is a woman who had to be on the edge of desperation for anything this woo-woo to get through. She had long ago issued any notion of God in a, and was sworn by education to follow the good old Baconian logic, referring to Francis Bacon, of refusing to believe anything until it was proven true. Nonetheless, a woman she barely knew showed up on her doorstep with groceries one morning when she was about to pass out. An unseen force appeared out of nowhere to guide her and her daughter through her smoke-filled apartment before it burned to the ground, and she was able to see and talk to her husband, even though he was in Hong Kong and she was in Boston, and no, I don't mean by telephone. What she came to realize is, against all odds, despite everything that works against it on this unpleasant, uncomfortable planet, mothering is here in abundance. You can always find it if you're smart enough and know where to look. And even if you aren't smart enough, it tends to show up, especially if you really need it. Says Beck, I have to jettison every sorrow, every terror, every misconception, every lie that stands between my conscious mind and what I know in my heart to be true. I have expanded my reality from a string of solid facts as narrow, strong, and cold as a razor's edge to a wild chaos of possibility. Oh, I like that phrase. That's a delicious phrase, a wild chaos of possibility. Ooh, good stuff. All right, so, okay, there's our setup. I think it's time we find out how this experiment's going to work. You want to do this part? Yep. All right, so there's a quote here. This is going to tell us the method. The quote is Stephen Hawking, the British theoretical physicist, says what now appears the paradoxes of quantum theory will seem just as common sense to our children's children. <laughs> so That's terrible. a wonderful idea to think about. Yeah, very In true. This experiment, you're going to send a message to someone you know using the concept of non-locality. According to Laura Day, author of Practical Intuition, it's as easy as sending an email. The good thing about this experiment is you don't even have to leave your easy chair. The majority of your interactions with other humans occur in the non-physical realm. All those thoughts you think you're privately keeping to yourself? They're not really private. Since we're all connected, you might as well be bellowing them over an intercom. Subtly, everyone is getting the message anyway. We're all connected to this huge data bank, and we constantly exchange energy with everyone in our circle of influence, and in smaller ways with every other being on the planet. Forget therapy. You can save all kinds of cash by simply changing the dialogue within your own mind. <laughs> 
but be careful what you ask for. <laughs> Didn't we just We're, say that? We know that part. <laughs> Sandra Ray, co-founder of Loving Relationship Training and a former teacher of mine, tells a funny story about communicating through the Unseen Energy Databank. She went to Leonard Orr, another one of my teachers, to find out why she kept wrecking her car. He told her to make a different intention in the form of an affirmation. She scoffed and said, you mean to tell me that with nothing but an intention, I could even get men to call me on the telephone? Of course, he said, try it. (laughs) She began sending this intention out into the FP, the field of potential. I now receive an abundant inflow of calls from men. Within four days, every single one of her old lovers called, some of whom she hadn't seen in months, some for years. (laughs) Incredible as it sounds, she says, I began to receive calls during the night, wrong numbers from men I didn't even know. (laughs) Needless to say, she changed that intention to one that works. Right, right. (laughs) Here are the steps. Step number one, choose your target. While it's certainly possible to send a message to practically anyone, I suggest choosing someone you've already met. Bruce Rosenblum, professor of physics at the University of California, Santa Cruz, claims that once you've met someone and shaken that person's hand, you are forever entangled. Oh, my. Yeah, right. (laughs) I'm not sure I like this. Well, it, it does give you pause in a couple of ways. Cause like you say, I mean, you, you, there are things, people you've, you've shaken hands with where you say afterward, Oh, geez, I'm not sure I really want to shake hands with that person. But it's also a reminder that it depends on how we decide to look at it. Right. And we're all one, right? So we, we are, we're all one. People that we've shaken hands with. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So two, choose what kind of action or response you want. The more specific you can get, the better. Okay, that's good to know. Mm-hmm. Be clear, be very clear about your agenda. For my most recent experiment, I sent a message to my partner Jim, bring home a loaf of bread. <laughs> Louise and I do that all the time. It's really something. <laughs> all right, step number three, place your target in front of your mind's eye. And step number four, in quotes, is the word be. Be with your target by embodying and experiencing your connection. Words are often an ineffective way to get a message across. Engage all your senses and believe in your message. To make it more effective and to add a little fun, shower your target with good thoughts. Send them incomparable blessings. Think about them winning the lottery, getting a date with Channing Tatum. Winning a trip around the world. And then she has the lab report sheet. And this one, the principle, 101 Dalmatians principle. The theory, you are connected to everyone and everything else in the universe. The question, can I send a message to someone without being in that person's presence? The hypothesis, if during the next two days, I telepathically send a specific message to a specific person, I will get evidence that he or she received it. Time required 48 hours. Approach. Okay, field of potential. I'm hearing the melody from the Twilight Zone playing. (laughs) But I'm willing to suspend judgment just this once to see if this might be one of those mysterious aspects of quantum physics. 
what say you? And you note down the time and the, the date and the time. And the quote at the bottom of the page says, that is at the bottom the only courage that is demanded of us to have courage for the most strange, the most singular, and the most inexplicable that we may encounter. Rainier Maria Rilke, Bohemian artist, Austrian poet. Um, I love that she ends with a, a quote from Rilke there about, I love the words, right? The most strange. <laughs> yeah. To have courage for the most strange, the most singular, and the most inexplicable that we may encounter. So I, I like that she was, uh, there were a couple things here I want to talk about really quickly that I was really glad she said. Um, you know, she says the more specific you can get, the better. What kind mm-hmm. of response you want. Yes. So that's interesting to me. And then also that she says words are often an ineffective way to get a message across. And I'm thinking about uh, something that you learn when you're learning communication techniques is that I think it's like 75% of what we communicate is not through our words. Right. Through our oh, yeah. body language, our expression. Um, and so it's really interesting that we're doing this experiment where we're not, where the person's not going to be local to us. And right away in my mind, in my brain, I, I want to just send a verbal message like words. And she is saying, no, it's more important that we really embody being with the person and engage all our senses, which we learned from Neville Goddard, right? Mm-hmm. That's right. Yep. So, in, I don't know if you can hear all these sirens. Yeah, yeah I hear the sirens, yeah. Um, so Neville talks about, instead of picturing yourself, oh, I see myself over there, I'm climbing a ladder, to actually hold the handles of the ladder in your hand. Right. You know, in your, in your mental imagination, to feel your feet stepping on the rungs of the ladder. So you're in your body, so to speak, as you're having this imagination. I think that that's what Pam Grau's talking about here, is to to really engage, you know, we're talking about being entangled with someone because we touched them at some point. Mm-hmm. We took their hand and now we're entangled forever. So it's like we can relive that touching, shaking hands, giving a hug, uh, whatever, like, and be in that person's presence as we're thinking about them and kind of transmit our message that way. So that's really interesting. I'm trying to think, well, well, I mean, I, I can point to, I, I'm sure you, you and Scott have done the same thing. Louise and I have done the same thing. Anybody who's a couple knows this oh, particular principle. Yes. This is, this is like very, very, very common. Right. Um, I, I think what we're really trying to do is, is convince ourselves this happens beyond our primary relationships. Right. Because I think that it's sort of effortless in our primary relationships. It is. Yeah. Right. Like we don't, we don't have steps one, two, three, four. Right. We, it just happened. It just happens. Like, oh, that we just did it again. <laughs> I remember one time there was a, a lamp that we didn't use very often in the house and the bulb was burned out, but we never used the lamp. So we hadn't talked about it. It wasn't a big deal. It was not a big mm-hmm. deal. And he went to the store to get some stuff. And for whatever reason, I thought about that lamp and I was like, oh, well, I mean, we don't even use the lamp. Not a big deal. He comes home and the first thing he says is, oh, I got the light bulb. It was just like, we never talked about it. I didn't ask him about it. It didn't matter. <laughs> Probably the last time we talked about it had been months ago, you know? Right. Yep. So that's kind of effortless. That just happens because exactly. we're so connected. Yeah. So what do you suppose would be 
a good response to make an intention for, a specific good response to make an intention for with this experiment? Are we wanting a, a phone call? Are we wanting someone to just say, oh, I was thinking about you? Do we want to make the message that we send them so specific that they have to reply with a certain thing? <laughs> I don't good. know. I like that. What are your I, thoughts about that? I, li- I like that a lot. Um, I think the, the, the thing I keep thinking about with all these experiments is what Dan Mangana teaches, the idea of pushing your edge, the edge of your, your own level of believability oh, right now. Yeah, yeah. Where, where, where's your edge right now? And, and so I'd be asking myself, where is my edge? What's the thing that's just a little bit beyond my edge that I can go for? Cause that's how I'm going to kind of reinforce for me, for myself that, yeah, of course this stuff works. And, and now I have a, a wider range of belief of how far it goes. Of course, there's no limit. The limit's my own mind. But right, still. right. Well, because I was thinking to myself, some friend, like, you know, I, friend, I haven't, I graduated from high school in, you know, a long, long time. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I was thinking, okay, what about if my message was a reminder to one of my friends of some, something we did or some, some private joke we had or something. Mm-hmm. But then thinking about it even more, I'm like, but what about, Pam Grout said that it was best if you had just met the person. I'm like, what if you didn't have a, a deep, long relationship where you had private jokes and all these experiences? What if it was just somebody you met? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That to me, that's pushing my edge to say, okay, I met this person one time and I want them to reach out to me in some way. So I know that they got the message. That would push my edge. That might be what it's going to have to be. <laughs> I'm thinking that for myself, I'm actually going to do multiple experiments. And I, I, I want to take some time to kind of formulate them in my mind. But I want to try to do, you know, two, three, four of them, something like that, and see how they all go. Because I think the biggest problem we all have is we just don't pay attention to find out how our thoughts actually work out. So if right. I can find a few of them to try out and find that I get results on a few of them, I think I've done a whole lot to reinforce my own belief system. So. I, I love that idea. And I love the idea of the, uh, you know, the result of this being something that reinforces our belief system. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's awesome. And also, you know, uh, I would suggest for myself anyway, if I'm going to do three or four or five of these, I need to write them down. Yes, I'm going to do that too. I agree. That's very important. So I invite all of our listeners who uh, are willing to give this a try. If maybe you haven't been doing any of the experiments yet, but you're thinking maybe I should try to do one, this is a good one to do. And I would remind yeah. you what happened the last, with the last experiment. I mean, it took Monique right off the show. So you are playing with live ammo here. This is the real deal. Just yeah. be ready for that. And, and you know, like the, the chapter said, make sure you focus on what you really want. Be very careful about it. <laughs> Definitely, definitely. And the other part is, you know, when you, when you, when someone, I've, I've trained myself to try to be better about this for at least the past decade. And that is when someone pops into my mind, when I, when I keep thinking about someone Mm -hmm. to not wait for hours or days or weeks to go by and then reach out and say, Oh, you've been on my mind for weeks. No, reach out today and say, I woke up with you on my mind or I keep thinking about you. And I don't know how many times the person has needed to hear from me in some way. Right. So it kind of works both ways, but I'm excited about this. This is going to be a fun one. 
It is going to be fun. And, uh, you know, send in your uh, emails and such to let us know what happens with you. I'm sure we'll be sharing the results next week. It's going to be a lot of fun. So something to look forward to. Thank you very much to all of our podcast listeners. We'll see you all next time here on LOA Today. Goodbye, everybody. Bye, everyone.